Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, so today I'm sitting here with a very, very special person who also happens to be one of my partners in a coaching business called Empowered Salon Leaders, which I'm really excited to introduce to you guys, Nula Gildea, and she is amazing. So first of all, thank you so much, Nula, for being on today. I know everyone's going to fall in love with you and especially your accent. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Tina, for asking. It's such an honor. Thank you. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for the longest time, and we finally were able to arrange it. And so first and foremost, uh, you're going to love it because she is actually from Dublin, Ireland, which I think is awesome. Uh, She's Irish made, but New York City raised. I love that, Nuba, (laughs) that you said that. And uh, she loves the beauty industry. Uh, At this time, she's changing her role in it. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, She's on a mission to empower the salon industry to live by design, not by default. So let's unwrap that a little bit. Her 30 plus years of experience in the professional beauty industry includes not only owning and operating salons and spas, but also coaching and consulting salon owners and leaders. She believes that every salon needs a heart. And it's the one thing that It's never on your profit and loss statement, but is what makes people stay. And it's what makes people grow. To be successful, you have to have your heart in your business and your business in your heart. As a coach and leadership trainer, she can help salon owners understand how to build their own leadership skills to create a productive and profitable team culture. And so first and foremost, uh, Nula is a John Maxwell certified coach, speaker, and trainer. As I mentioned, she's from Dublin, Ireland, which makes her very unique and fun. Um, Of course, she lives in New York City. She lives in Queens, New York, with her husband, John, and their dog, Rooney. And later, we'll uh, share with you how you can connect with Nula, because you're definitely going to want to connect with her just to even just to hang out and listen to her talk. I, I love <laughs> listening to you. <laughs> so I love it. So yeah, so Nula, tell us like, tell us your journey of getting to where you are today. I love the fact that you say 30 plus years. I, I'm now I'm at the point of 20 plus years. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of want to cough when I say 30 <laughs> plus years, because um I actually left school at, you know, 15. So I've been in the professional oh. beauty industry um, since you I was You left 15. school. You have to yeah. tell that story. Why did yeah. you I was school? I was actually invited to leave. And, um, invited? Yes. So the um, career counselor, you know, at um, in and around that 14 years of age, you do the, you know, the first test before you get to go to high school, which is, you know, where you test out after going to college. And um, I wasn't very academic. I wasn't truant. I was always in class. I was never like a, you know, the class clown or anything. I always showed up. I just wasn't interested. You know, the only subjects that caught my interest were geography, history, and English. So, and then, and then music and art. But, and they were the only subjects that really ever caught my interest. And um, I had a couple of really good teachers along the way and a couple of really bad teachers. And I had one teacher called Mrs. Finnegan 
and she had she was my English teacher and she always said reach for the moon and you'll land up in the stars and that was something that you know she just said every day in class and it's just something that I love so when it came time to my career you know counselor meeting my mom she's like I don't think school is for Nula maybe she needs to do some sort of apprenticeship or have you ever thought of hairdressing and my mom says no but if she's you know if you think this is where she should go so my mom went and found me a hairdressing job in um yeah in the best salon in dublin at the time called peter marks and they're a fantastic business they're one of the biggest chains of salons um in ireland and um i started my apprenticeship there didn't love it but when i walked in i loved the music the people the clothes that, you know, and I loved having cash in my pocket and I'd always worked. I'd always had a, a job. I was a paper girl. And when I was 12 or 13, when I could manage to get out of, you know, before um, school and then I was a milk girl. So you deliver milk. So I always liked the hustle. So you're yeah, a milk girl. <laughs> yeah, I was a milk girl. Like, yeah, I used to go to the dairies every morning and they'd go around the neighborhood and deliver milk to the door. <laughs> Steps, you know <laughs> okay we well, have to back up because um mrs finnegan like she spoke into your life that's so yeah. cool that she sticks out to you and i love the fact that they invited you to leave <laughs> yeah so they suggested so it in the united yeah. states <laughs> yeah. suggested it. it was you know i was back in the 70s so it was something that was um you know apprenticeships were really big in ireland like we're real sort of a working class um, country, you know? So a lot of kids left school young, you know, it wasn't unusual. It's very unusual now, but at the time, you know, the boys went in to become plumbers, electricians, the girls went to be hairdressers or nannies, you know? So it just wasn't, it wasn't unusual. And um, yeah, and then, you know, fell in love with hair and managed to, you know, work up to a certain point in the salon that um, when I was 21, so I was at 15 to 21, I'd been working. So like I got my, I, I feel like I got my MBA before people even yeah. started going to college, right? Yeah. And um, one of my colleagues, she was my teacher in the salon, but she came back from a vacation in Greece in 1985. So now I can, you can tell my age if you do some math. <laughs> And she said to me, wow, I was just at this vacation in Greece. I saw these girls cutting hair on the beach. You and I should go there next year. So the next year we went to our boss in the May and said to him, hey, can we have three months off? We want to travel around Europe, which I'm sure many of your listeners have had that, those conversations with their employees and um, you know the travel conversation. Uh -huh. And my boss, Desi, was he was one of the best hands down one of the best bosses he was amazing he said so long as you're back by Christmas girls you can have the time off because Christmas was the big you know business time so it came we went and I went over there and I never came back basically my girlfriend came back and I didn't so I ended up going to England I traveled a little and I never went back for the Christmas rush in the salon and <laughs> then yeah and then I um yeah I stayed in Greece for longer than I was expected and then I came back the winter came home for Christmas and then I ended up um, going back to England in 1987 stayed there for a while and um, then went to Greece in 88 and then came to back to England and came to New York in 1991. 
So why New York? How'd you get to New York? So I always wanted to come to America. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even before this, I had tried to come to America as a nanny. And um, it didn't work out for me. So I'd always had this dream. I used to love the Mary Tyler Moore show. Remember that Mary yes, Tyler? Yes, I love that show. <laughs> We're me, dating ourselves. <laughs> yeah, she was the epitome of an independent woman. And my mother yes. was, my mother raised independent women. So when I saw her and she used to have her brown paper bag full of groceries, I thought it was so chic and this great coat and a hat and she had Carlton the doorman. And I was like, I want that life. I want that independence. I want a doorman. <laughs> so I actually applied for a lottery and it was a lottery in, in the 1980s in Ireland that you could apply to come to America. Came home um, in the Christmas of 1988. And my mother said, this came from the American embassy and she gave me a letter. And she said, because I'd applied for it and she was sitting, my mom has a chair that sits by the fireplace and, you know, that was her chair. And she was sitting by the fire and she said to me, I was very close to putting this letter in the fire. She said, but I know this is what you want. And um, I said, but mommy, you're going to have some great vacations. <laughs> uh, how old were you then? I was 21. Wow. Yeah, oh no, no, not 21. Sorry, I was 24. Oh, yeah, 24 by then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, by then. And it took me a couple of years then to yep. get to the U.S. So I was 26 when I came to the U.S. Oh my goodness. All by yourself. All by myself. Um, a neighbor, her um, daughter was living, I didn't really know her that well, was living in um, Connecticut and she was a nurse up there and she said she'd put me up for six weeks and I knew somebody in New York and um, a friend of a friend and asked him if he'd meet me and show me around, got an apartment and, um, you know, those days there was no, it was no Craigslist, you know, it was newspapers and I got an apartment in an Irish neighborhood in Queens because I felt really safe with all my Irish people. Yeah. And um, the place is called Sunnyside Queens. And actually my first roommate is still one of my closest friends. And uh, yeah, she was a hairdresser too, by chance. Wow. Okay. So did you comment, did you do hair in New yeah. York? Then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I actually um, went to, at the time I was working in London, I was working in a barbershop and um, I went to, I was also bartending, working in wine bars, you know, I wasn't, mm -hmm. I had loved the industry, but I wasn't in love with the industry, you know. So I went, um, I came here to New York, my uh, former boss in London had a friend that had a salon in Wall Street and gave me a job on Pearl and I forget the, anyway, I forget the exact, but it was Pearl Street just down the road from the um, New York Stock Exchange. And it was super busy, you know, lots of, you know, traders and people coming in to get a haircut and I'd never seen anything like it before. Like I'd never been in America and tipping was huge. I, they give you a hundred dollar tips, $50 <laughs> tips. I was like, what is this country? It was amazing. But I didn't love the salon. So the salon was very much very, when looking back, it was a very independent salon. There wasn't a team. I've always loved working in a team and being with a group of people. So the following year, I said, okay, if I'm going to stay in America, where can I go that will have a good reputation if I ever go back to Europe? Because at that time, American hairdressing really didn't have a good reputation in the rest of the world. Bumble right. and Bumble was just starting to come up and create this American identity for um, a business, but they really didn't. So I said, let me see if there's anything open at Fidel Sassoon. So, you know, because Fidel Sassoon is internationally known, 
I had thought I'd go back to England. I had a boyfriend at the time that was in England and um, I'd asked him to come to America and he didn't, you know, fast forward. He's my husband. We've been married like <laughs> 24 years. And he did. He finally he did. did. He finally so he came followed over. you. Yeah. Don't tell wow. him that, but yes, he did. Wow. <laughs> I won't tell him. <laughs> So, yes. Yeah. So then I, you know, I said, okay, if I'm going to, you know, I really thought I may go back to England. I didn't think I'd stay here that long, but having my visa, I wanted to stay. I loved the American culture and, you know, I loved living in Queens, New York, you know, being in the city every day, working on Wall Street. It was a great experience, but I realized, you know, for the next phase of my career, where am I going to kind of set my roots? So when I walked into Vidal Sassoon, they were hiring it, I walked in, I said, this is it. I knew it was the hairdressing for me. And I had my, I have an older brother who's uh, 10 years older than me. And he had a girlfriend who was a hairdresser. And when we were kids, we always had short hair and cool hair. And I remember looking at pictures and I said to mommy, who did our hair then? And she said, Linda, Linda was this hairdresser from Dublin, which I didn't know, you know, it's all these messages, but she had had trained at Fidel Sassoon. So when I walked into Sassoon, I was like, oh my God, these are my people. So um, stayed there, worked there for 10 years and um, worked on Fifth Avenue, 59th and 5th. It was brilliant in the General Motors building, loved the Sassoon organization, you know, met some amazing people that are still friends to this day. Christine Zielinski, who connected us. Yes. And I were, thank were, you, Christine. A, yeah, were, thank you, Christine. And she actually had the concept for empowered salon leaders, which we love. We're all John Maxwell coaches. That's how we all met. And Christine introduced me to Tina. So Christine and I were assistants at Sassoon and that's how we met. And we've been friends ever since. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is so, I mean, I, I mean, I just can't imagine and especially, I, I mean, it was hard for me even. I left home at 18 to go to college, right? And, but you watch this next generation, they all want to be with their parents. Yeah. And I think it's cool because I want to be with my kids, of course, <laughs> you know, because I want to be around my grandkids. But was, that had to be so scary for you to leave your family and go to a whole nother country. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. Not really, you know, um, uh -oh. yeah, growing up in Ireland, if you didn't go to college, you traveled like once it was interesting when I came here at 16, you know, the American kids get their driver's license, you know, at 16 in Ireland, we get our passport. We're in Europe. You know what I mean? So you traveled, you went on, you went on a sun vacation. You lived in Ireland, rainy. You went every January, you were booking your vacation for the sun for two weeks, you know? <laughs> so it's like New Yorkers going to Florida. So yeah, we go to Florida. Yeah, you traveled. And my mom had been to America when I was a kid. And, you know, it seemed so far away then, but I think, you know, it was, you, you heard of people going to California, coming to New York. I never felt far away. You know, I always felt like I could hop on a plane and then my family were visiting all the time. So I was never lonely and I was never scared. I always had an adventurous spirit. It's interesting that you say that it must have been scary because back in, I must have been 18 when I went on my first girl's vacation to Spain. And my mom always says one Nula went to the airport and another Nula came back because I saw how big the world was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just wanted to travel, you know, that was my thing. I never thought I'd stay in New York for these amount of years, 
but I've had friends that had visited and some good friends that know me since I was a teenager. And I remember one of my friends, Paul, and he said to me, he said, wow, I've never seen you so happy as you are in New York. So, you know, you just find, you, you can find your place, you find your people, you find your tribe. And, yeah. you know, and that's why I love it. I still, you know, I still love living here. Oh my gosh. How, how does John feel about it? He loves it now. It's interesting because he was on, when, I met him in London, by the way. Mm. Yeah. He okay. was on his way to Australia because um, in the 80s, the jobs weren't that really good in Ireland um, at the time. I was okay being a hairdresser. You know, I feel you're always going to have some sort of employment. It's interesting though. I used to say our industry is recession proof, but you know, this year has proved that's so different than, you know, what right. we've been conditioned to believe. But, um, you know, so he was on his way to Australia. I was on my way to America. And, you know, he came to America, didn't love it at first, but after six weeks of being here, he had a job, he had a local bar and he had a football, which is soccer. He plays soccer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he had the, you know, and his girlfriend. So what more does a man want? Oh, I love this story so much. Okay. So I'm going to call this be adventurous. Okay. I believe that because of your adventure spirit, this is why you're able to be so joyful. And, and I think some of us are just so afraid of being adventurous. I even remember the crazy thing is because we're so, I don't know, I just, I like comfort, right? And I just, I get nervous about traveling by myself. Like I would never travel by myself, right? Wow. And so then I joined the John Maxwell team in 2013. And I was so scared, Nula, and meeting new people. And it just, it changed my world. Like it made me more adventurous, so to speak, right? And more adventurous in choosing different paths for my life too, because you don't realize, I believe there's so many uh, different paths that God's want, God wants us to take, not just one. Yeah. And I always tell people like, don't just pick one vocation, pick many, pick many things that you could do. And I feel like that's what you've done. And I love the fact that at this time you're changing your role. And, yeah. it, and I think it does change. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, working behind the chair, you know, since 15 years of age. And actually when I was in Greece, we had, a, we cut hair on the beach. So I've been cutting hair all my life and <laughs> behind the chair. Yeah. And then having my own salon, when I opened that, you know, I still, cut hair a few days a week but then I started to you know get into the business of our industry which I absolutely love and um, you know leaving school of 15 my math teacher would not never she'd probably roll over in her grave now of how much I love a PL, a balance sheet and a statement of cash flow I'm like bring it on baby you know she I in wow. math I never I probably never got graded in math I was never just behaved you know yeah. and, and it's interesting when you find it and I have to thank Neil Dukoff from strategies for really teaching um, me how to see the creativity in numbers and how you can manage your business and your life through you know knowing your financial you know your bottom line so um that's you know that's when I kind of start falling in love with the the business end of of our industry and of course getting into a salon you know you think you you have to you know and I, there's another story for another time in that but you know the big lesson there was you know you know don't let the accountant run your business you know know what the accountant is giving you and understand that Whoa. so um, yeah 
wonderful. I love that you said that because it is your adventurous spirit that I think we all have, but we yeah. just need to tap into it. And I love the fact that you found adventure in numbers, right? Because you're seeing the creativity in the numbers. And I agree with you because I remember there was a time that I didn't understand the numbers. And I remember my business partner, Wynn Claybaugh, sitting saying, you have to know your numbers, right? And so he said, just train the accountant to teach you in your way. Right. And so I'm the same way. I have to be very creative with it. It, uh, Sean always knows that it has to be in color. Yeah. Color. Yeah. (laughs) Make it colorful. (laughs) Anybody that I'm working with now, it's I pick I pick their business color to put on their cash flow. So, you know, so they can. Yeah, because I think it's you have to. Yeah. Yeah, you, it has. It's your. It has to be part of who you are, and you have to want to look at it, um, and that's actually. You know, I do. I credit Neil Dukoff for that, and he's one of. You know, he's got an amazing company up in um, Centerbrook, Connecticut, and uh, it's called Strategies, and and he teaches team-based pay, which is a wonderful education. Um, so yeah, so through that, then in the salon, I stayed in my own business for nearly ten years, and um, still cutting hair. And then I went to manage um, Nick Arojo's business in New York City for 10 years. And again, I still, Nick very much um, always wanted to hire people that were in the industry that managed and led his company because he believed that, you know, hairdressers can talk to hairdressers, hairdressers can coach hairdressers. So I still had... um, I had one day a week on the floor at Arojo taking clients. You have clients that you know I've met since 1992, been in New York and have followed me. And um, you know, so that kind of kept me relevant behind the chair. But now with COVID and what happened, I decided, you know, I've really accumulated so much information and knowledge that I really want to give back to the young people in our industry and teach them how they can have everything. So you can have it all, you know, you can, you can, you know, I do believe that you can work, you, whatever you want out of this industry, you can have, it's been nothing but good to me. And, you know, I've loved it, have lifelong friends, you know, financially, you know, getting educated behind the chair, my clients telling me where to invest or what to buy. And, you know, you learn so much from behind the chair. And that's what I really wanted to, for this next phase, um, get out of the actual salon world and empower salon leaders. And that's, you know, I think, you know, what we did at the beginning of COVID was fantastic getting together. And I want, so I've seen Probably in the last five years, as our industry has switched to salon suites and owners getting insecure and um, mm. it, it not, you know, not having the courage to have those conversations with the team and being held, you know, being held by hostage type of thing. And I remember the first time I heard that expression was um, with Neil Dukoff. And I said, how can a, a salon employee hold you hostage and then and then when I became an owner I understood how they could hold you hostage because all you see is the money you know sometimes as a salon owner all you see is what they're bringing in and I remember Neil telling me he said do the math Nula you know if they leave you're going to retain 30 percent of those clients you're already paying a high commission probably if those employees have been with you a long time he said what are you really losing you know, right. you're losing your culture if you retain these people. And that, you know, and that's what I kind of, you know, I started to see that the owners started to get less confident. And I really want the owners to be more confident and the 
the employees to be more confident that they can have great conversations. And Tina, that's what we've been doing these last six months. We've been going through these amazing John Maxwell leadership books. Mm -hmm. And we've seen people who've been on this study with us since the beginning and how much they've grown. And you're empowering people to empower people. Yeah. You know, so it, I, I really believe that's where my next phase is and to teach people the magic and the numbers and to develop their own leadership skills that they're not afraid to have. We talked about it the other day, right? We had the confrontation or is it a conversation? Are yeah. you going to have a confrontation or a conversation? You choose, have a conversation, lead people. And um, yeah, so that's, wow. that's. Oh my gosh. So Nula, this is all because you're adventurous and it's because people have this fear of not being adventurous because they're so afraid of losing everything yeah. because they have like this trigger of, I have to be in control. I have to be in control. So there's, there's some really deep things here that I think I'm really unpacking in my head of why you've been so successful, Nula. And I want to borrow that adventurous spirit. And I hope anyone listening to this wants to borrow your adventurous spirit too, because, you know, it's 2020 has kind of made us either super, super like scared or yeah. super excited, right? It's, it's really separated what I think the excited people from the scared people. And I've been watching a lot of people and I'm not surprised by the people that have been scared and yeah. you can see it all over their social media as well. And honestly, being a part of this Empowered Salon Leadership Group with you, uh, Nula, has been really amazing because getting around higher-minded, like-minded people that are adventurous, that aren't afraid to pivot, that aren't afraid to go to another direction, like which way, which fork in the road should you take, right? And so get excited. So where did that come from for you? What's, you know, this is called the B series. It's untold stories of leadership transformation. Okay, so obviously you've had some kind of transformation in your life, right? In order yeah. to be adventurous, where did that come from? I really don't know but where it actually came from. But, you know, I've all my mother, you know, six children, but she was always independent. You know, my father, you know, was went out to work every day and he, you know, he definitely cared. And, you know, I have some great childhood memories, but I think... Like, we're going to go deep here. And this is interesting because I've been thinking about this for a while. And I was actually adopted at four weeks old. So, wow. yeah. And I never, yeah. Yeah. And I never, and I, my mom adopted three kids. She had three biological kids and adopted three kids. Wow. So my older brother and sister, I have a 10-year-old brother and eight-year-old sister, eight years older than me, a brother 10 years older than me. And then there was me. I was the first adopted child. And I think I was just loved so much. They waited so long that I've never had, there's a feeling that my two other siblings younger than me have like the feeling of a hole in their, you know, they had that growing up because they had a different experience than I had been adopted or they were given up in a different, you know, way. But I just always remember feeling so special and so loved and so supported. And then my mother was so independent. You know, I remember my mom, wearing trousers and my dad not wanting to take my mom out in the car wearing trousers because a woman didn't wear trousers I love your mom so yeah. much oh yeah <laughs> and my my aunt my auntie Una who'd lived in London brought my mom home a pair of corduroys from a store called Marks and Spencer's right and I remember them being brown 
corduroys, right? I loved corduroys. <laughs> Love. And I remember us all sitting out in the car outside the house, waiting on my mom to come out, my dad going back and forth, and my mom sitting on the, the end of the stairs going, you can leave without me. I'm wearing my pants, you know? But my mother wasn't a rebel. She's a soft, she's, she's yeah. soft and gentle and small yeah. and petite but strong, you know? Mm. But, um, but not angry, you know? So she's yeah. a really independent woman and, she, you know, she managed the finances in her house and, and she always encouraged um, travel and she always encouraged, you know, reading books and she always encouraged, like we watched movies as kids. It, you'd have a problem with my mom and you'd go into the kitchen and she'd break it into a Broadway song. Like everything was a song, you know, and, uh, and, you know, she loved musicals and, you know, so I don't know. I just grew up. My dad was a singer, you know, so we'd, he'd sing in the house too, you know? So it's like, I just grew up in a kind of a very loving and accepting household, you know, yeah, fun, a fun household. Yeah. It was, it was fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I had fun, you know, but talk to my siblings. We all have a different version of the story, you know? <laughs> Always. Well, I have five and it's the same thing. You know, there's all different perspectives. Of course, it depends on the season that your parents were in. You know, yeah. I know I was a much better mom to my son than to my daughter. My daughter was more uptight and a little bit harder on her, you know? Yeah. And so, but it's just, it's kind of like that learning, you know, as you go, go through, you know, your children. And so, okay. I almost, called this be independent in the beginning and I was thinking about that but I thought wait a second I, I can't call this be independent because I really believe the independence comes from the adventurous spirit yeah and so I watch a lot of of moms so let's talk to moms right now because I know there's like this this hard um situation I think you know with moms is and it's always been an issue right of yeah. you know, should I stay home should I homeschool my kids full-time should I still be independent should I still have independence from my children and you know because I've watched different moms through the years like live their life through the eyes of their children and then they have nothing and right. they seem bored you know I I think we're so capable of human beings to do so much more too. And, but I don't know, what is your opinion on this Nula? And as we grow through this process, like give, give advice to moms to, to kind of like not be so hard on themselves, so to speak. Right. And this is so interesting because I would never think I'd have a voice in this because I'm not a mother. Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I've never had children. You know, I'm a great aunt, you know, I've loved my, any, anybody that I've worked with in the salon industry and you know, seen them grow. I think when you were a child. Yeah. yeah. So you can see it from the other perspective. Yeah, so, that's so it's interesting that you're asking me this question. I think, I think for moms to let your kids, allow your kids to dream and support their dreams. You know, I think yes. we're, you know, yes. Yeah. What do you think causes parents to not allow their kids to dream they kind of almost again it's that control issue of not allowing their kids to be adventurous yeah. right yeah. and i remember uh with my son for instance i remember him having the hard conversation with my dad with her with his dad uh, my husband saying you know you really wanted me to be this nfl player and they had a hard conversation with each other you know and he said you're you were living your life through me blah 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 and so my husband kind of had to give up that control that he had yeah. over our son and i remember thinking like just let him do whatever he wants to do whatever god because you know he was a christian and i knew he was going to go in the direction that god was going to lead him and allow him what do you think 
keeps people like wanting to control that for their kids? I, Is it fear? Yeah, I think it's the fear of what could happen because they've had a life experience and they've seen heartache, they've seen failure. And I think that's what makes people, you know, I think that's what molds you. And I think they want to protect, they want to protect that the kids don't. It's interesting, just before we got on this call, I was on the phone with my sister in Ireland this morning and my, nie my niece was there and she's my goddaughter. I've only um, got two nieces and she just turned 16. So she has a boyfriend and I said, hey, Rebecca, you know, how's your boyfriend, Max? And I saw her face drop and I said to my sister, she just had her first heartbreak, you know? Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting because I think we want to protect them and we want them not to have that first heartache, but they're going to have to. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what I said to her. Well, that's great. Your first one is done. It'll never be worse than your first. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'll give you five minutes to cry and yeah. then get over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because we're my daughter and I are cleaning out her old bedroom. Finally, in our house, I'm like, finally, I can move you out. You've been married and you have children. And so we're going through and she's reading old journals. And, and she's reading about old boyfriends. And she's like, I don't need this stuff. What do I need this? So she's like throwing it away. Fantastic. You know? and, but I just was laughing so hard because she's so right. But at the same time, there were so many life lessons that she learned, if you'll let it. But what do you think wanted some women to kind of fall into the hands of these same people over and over and over that are toxic for them? You know, I know yes. we're going off on the tangent. Yeah, but I know. We that's is a, yeah, this is a whole different podcast. But not being adventurous, right? I think not being and their self worth. You know, that's, oh, that self-worth is so. Okay. Where'd you get your yeah. self-worth? Because yeah, so here you were adopted. So obviously you were chosen. I wasn't yeah. chosen. So my parents were stuck <laughs> with me. <laughs> I know. I always say that to my siblings. I was chosen. You weren't, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. So I, um, I think, I don't know. So, you know, as you roll through that. Yeah, I think with my. I, re I remember one time, um, it was actually my husband now, but John at the time was taking me to Paris for my 25th birthday. We were living in, in England. It was before I came to America. And my mom said something about, you know, you, the sing you guys have single rooms, right? You know, and I grew up Catholic Ireland. And my mom <laughs> said, I'm sorry I had to say that, she said, but your aunt, my auntie Una, who's my mom's best friend, said, you raised her properly. She'll make the right choices. Yes. And I, and I remember that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, many years later, you know, that you have to have, believe that you raise them properly, that they're going to make the right choices, but sometimes they will not, but you've got to love them anyway, you know? Yeah. So true. I love that so much. And, and, you know, because I made a lot of mistakes, of course, with my kids, oh. you know, yeah. and so I always tell people, how did your, you know, cause people will say, how did your kids turn out so good? And I'm like, well, because I didn't actually raise them. God did. Thank God. Right. Because I turned them over to him. I was like, God, you have to take over because I'm fallible. Like I, you know, I just, I'm going to make mistakes right through, yeah. through the process, which I did uh, just because of not dealing with past toxic issues that I never confronted in my life. Right. And it's funny, I'm almost 56, right? And I have still kind of struggled with that self-worth. And I think it has come from not dealt with toxic uh, thoughts, yeah. thought 
patterns and habits from my past. And so I'm actually working through Dr. Caroline Leaf's course right now. It's a 20 oh, yeah. day, the switch app. I know I've mentioned it to so yeah. many people on my podcast. So they're all probably like getting, I hope they're all getting on because it's a game changer. But so talk about that, you know, because with self-worth, you know, where did you gain your self-worth? Because you seem so confident, Nula. And what do you do? Like, what's, what's your daily habit and pattern, right? In order to know how worthy that you really are. Yeah, I think my first um, sort of book that I read was um, uh, Louise Hay. Um, oh, I forgot the name of it. Something about mind and body. Mm-hmm. The connection between your mind and body. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. And that's when I fell in love with like Hay House. And I realized there was a, a different way of thinking. And um, I, you know, I started, you know, I'm, I'm not a big person. I wasn't, I should say, a big person of prayer. I'm starting to practice more of that now. But I definitely was, a, I'm a big journaler. So writing a lot. I do a lot of, gra- yeah, I do gratitude journal um, morning and evening. And um, it's just something that, you know, that time for pausing and just reflecting. And, you know, I have the demons. I can say those crazy things to myself of not being self-worth, but, you know, just being grateful for the smallest things. And, um, you know, I, I just, I am, you know, I, I remember being on a subway platform in the middle of January in New York and the, the trains were late and there's snow on the ground and I just see a crack of blue sky and it makes me so happy. You know, I choose to always look at the glass half full, you know, and I didn't realize that that was a, um, a good thing. I, you know, there's certain friends that I lost along the way because I always wanted to read you know, positive affirmations as opposed to trashy magazines. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I just was, I gravitated towards it. You know, my father is a very giving person. And as I said, my mother, you know, I never grew up in an angry household. And, you know, I just feel that, um, you know, I, I chose it. I chose to be that way. You know, I always went that direction rather than the dark, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it was part of me, but I definitely know the older I've gotten as you get a little bit more insecure. Yeah. I've made mistakes. I made bad business decisions. You know what I mean? Like, it's like my, my 10 years in business taught me a lot. You know, I didn't get in with the right partnership, chose a location that wasn't productive, you know, but I I went and found people to help me through the, the process and educate me. But, you know, um, for a while, I did definitely feel like, you know, there was something wrong. Uh, I have a, a funny story for a whole other time about, you know, how wrong I got and how off track I went. I went to the wrong people for advice, you know, and then I realized, whoa, I have two, I have um, two, three friends that I met through strategies and um, Heath Smith, and he's in Austin, Texas, and um, Chris Carpenter and Lisa Lewison. And these three friends helped me through like a really bad business, um, a business decision that I made. And, you know, gravitating towards people who will raise you up and will challenge your thinking or just be there for you and listening. So I've always managed to, you know, navigate and having good people around my life, you know? That is so awesome. And because you're adventurous, right? Yeah, yeah. I never thought of it like that. Thanks for giving that back to me. 
it's so beautiful because I, I'm just loving this story. And even though you had made the mistake, right? You made some never again uh, decisions that you would want to make, but I feel like God's using those stories so that you could help people through the process because so many people make the wrong, you know, decisions and business, yeah. right? Yeah. And oh, absolutely. <laughs> they choose the wrong people. I think I saw a quote recently. It was something like God reveal the people that look like sheep, but are actual snakes, you know? <laughs> and so it's so true because it's like a constant battle of discernment of making sure that you have the right people in your life. Yes. Right? Yeah. Speaking into your life. What do you think caused you to uh, have people in your life that kind of spoke wrong things in your life versus first of all, and then what caused you, because I love the fact that you went to the number one hairdresser, like, hello, like you knew your self-worth. You went straight to Vidal Sassoon right in the beginning. I think that's so amazing because Paul Mitchell schools and all of our partners and the people involved with it actually were trained in Vidal Sassoon because yeah. Paul Mitchell wasn't around then. So I think that's so, so neat. And it's so neat to be able to be married, you know, to that. But um, just what do you think caused you to do then speak to someone right now so that they can identify, you know, someone that possibly may not be speaking good advice in their life, first of all. Yeah, I think when people start to isolate you. So this was, you know, I went to I went to this person, you know, for advice. And then they started, you know, telling me certain things to do that didn't feel right. But I was like, okay, I think they know better. So, you know, let me go along with it. But my gut kept telling me this isn't right because when I started to then isolate myself and not tell my friends what I was starting to do and it just didn't feel good and then I'd stop you know we used to have a, a Wednesday morning call with this group and you know I kind of started avoiding those Wednesday morning calls not being truthful and I knew it just wasn't who I was and then you know yeah, it was, yeah. and it was a you know people can brainwash you you know if you're vulnerable like I was in a very vulnerable position place and you know the shame of maybe of making a wrong bad decision the shame of putting my family my husband and I in financial pressure you know because we had you know we had kind of gone the American dream bought a home you know very successful and then I made some bad business decisions that financially could put us in ruin and um, you know so being afraid to say I failed yeah you know yeah. Yeah, and, that, and I realized that you can fail forward when I realized yeah. that I and then, you know, I, I knew it wasn't right. So and then I told one of my friends what I had done and he started laughing, you know, <laughs> and he's like, you did what you chose what? And, you know, I get I then I start telling them what I was doing with this other person. They're like, Nola, you're crazy. And why did you choose that? And I realized how silly I was for not following my own gut you know yeah. and yeah and it yeah. took me a long time to get back to that that emotional gut feeling and and I, it was interesting that you used the word discern this morning and that's a word I was I'm in a, a book study at the moment on a book called think and grow rich and um, we're talking about one of the chapters and you know it's to learn to discern the voice of God and the voice of my own voice and my own insecurities just discerning you know what that voice is because for I think when you make bad decisions or you second guess yourself you also lose that connection you know you lose the connection with source you know wow. and then you, 
Yeah. That is so good. I love that. And you're, you're right. We, we're all, we are all born um, from God, right? And so when we think about that and you're not following your gut instinct, it's like, it's not following your spirit source, right? What your spirit is truly telling you. And I'll never forget when our business partner, when he was standing on stage, because it was the same situation where he said, you have to obey your instincts, like obey that gut feeling. And I remember right when he said it, it was like it all these like electricity went through my body because I wasn't obeying my instincts at that moment. Right. And so I was like, oh man, I really got to do something about this. And so you're right. And I think, you know, you cannot isolate yourself. And I love it because adventurous people don't isolate themselves. Right. So you have to be adventurous and you have to be careful about being in isolation and being careful about who's speaking into your life. Cause you kind you pretty much know if they're good or bad yeah. for you yeah. to be in your life. So talk about that because I love the fact that you're in the think and grow rich study of discerning the voice of God or discerning the other voice, which is yeah. not God, it's just the opposite, right? So our human nature, right? Because we're all born as human nature until we accept God into our life. So um, talk about that a little bit more in someone so that they know how to be more discerning. So I am authentic journaling. So yeah, yeah, we that, you know, this is a practice. Talk about what that is, authentic journaling. I've talked about it before. Yeah, so the the practice that I've um, learned is um, through Paul Martinelli. So he's the first person I thought about authentic journaling. So it's sitting with a blank piece of paper. I actually, I, I have a journal book, but it's just sitting with a blank piece of paper and asking a question, whoever you, you know, whoever you believe in, if it's God or, you know, whoever you believe in, but asking that question of an answer that you want and just start to write down and not judge it. So even if it's, I have to go and get milk today, write it down. I have to go, blah, blah, blah. Just write, 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 write. Trust yourself, trust yourself that whatever is coming through you, you know, is coming to you. So you've got to write it down. And um, over time, it, uh, you know, if you begin a, a two minute practice every morning or three, it doesn't have to be laborious yeah. and it doesn't, you know, just taking time getting into a little bit of a quiet space, maybe making your favorite cup of tea or, you know, I wouldn't advise coffee. Coffee will get you going in the morning. <laughs> having a good glass of water, just spending some time. And, and I've, I've learned that it will come. So in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning, it would be, you know, silly thing. It's like, oh, I need to pay that bill, you know, or just, yeah. you know, write, just write, write it down, let it out. And then you'll start trusting and then you'll start, you'll start to be able to tune in to what is you and what is coming to you. So, or through you, as they say. And yeah, um, yeah I've, I, in the beginning, I didn't read back a lot of my journal. Like my, when I started authentic journaling, I didn't read it back. And then every now and again, I'll just pick a page and I'll go, oh, wow. because you'll get led to what you I, be, I believe that you get led back to what you wrote that was for you. Yeah, no, I agree. I was the same way. I wouldn't read back and uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf makes you do that, you yeah. know, gather and reflect and to go back into your writings. And that's like, whoa, that just blew my mind. I can't believe I wrote that. And uh, what she'll do too, she kind of took that authentic journaling to another level because I've been teaching that as well with from Paul Martinelli of, of really just sitting there and breathing first. Yeah. 
And I needed to do that because of my, almost like my anxiety of everything I had to complete. And so to be really, really present. And so she'll take you into like this meditational um, view of breathing, you know, breathe in and out, you know, breathe in for seven, out for 11, you know, different types of breathing exercises, which really made a difference for me. And I realized even before I, I speak or before I'm getting in front of someone that I'm a little nervous about having, you know, I'll say a prayer and then do some breathing as yeah. well because yeah. it helps to get rid of anxiety. So how do you, so adventurous people don't have a lot of anxiety. Obviously. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, you do. Okay. Yes. So how do you get through your anxiety that you've had? I mean, 2020 has been, my most anxious year, I have to say, and where my anxious thoughts come from is in the still of the night and the middle of the night between one and three. And some nights I just can't go to sleep. And so I've had to play, I have a abide app, which is like this uh, prayer app, so to speak. And it's, um, you know, they'll come back and speak to you God's word over and over. And sometimes I'm hitting that button you know, 60 minutes, another 60 minutes. And until that anxiety, sometimes it's two hours before it goes away. So what do you do? Well, I remember the first time I was a, I was going to have, I thought it was an anxiety attack. I was actually working at Sassoon at the time. It was my first year that I was part of the, the leadership team. And I was responsible for so much before I was going on vacation. And I'm not necessarily the most organized person. I definitely leave things to the last minute. So I had a laundry list of things to do. And I remember going into the office and feeling this wave. I've never had an anxiety attack or anything before. And I recognized it and I was like, I am not doing this. I spoke to myself and I said, this is not happening. You are not taking control of me. And I just, yeah, and I didn't realize it till a while later that I was able to talk to myself in that capacity. And I I really made it, it was, I was very, you are not doing this. I was very deliberate. And and then I, I read somewhere about, you know, a moment in time where you were your most happiest. If you're in the middle of the night and you're, you know, having these thoughts, these churning thoughts, Remember a moment in time where you were the most happiest or you were the most present. Um, and I have, I have two memories that I think of. And I always, when I wake up in the middle of the night and I have those thoughts, I always go to those places. So yeah, the places where I was the most happiest, the most present in my life. And I try and get into that feeling state. Yeah. And it generally works for me or I get up and put the kettle on and have a cup of tea. <laughs> I love it. Yes, of course. You're from Ireland. You have yeah. to have a cup of tea. I love you drink it with milk. Do you drink? I don't. I don't. Okay. I, yeah, I drink black tea. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're so American. Yeah. <laughs> What's your almost happiest thought? What do you go to? Where's your thought? Um, I go to this island in Greece where I, I, I lived for, you know, nearly two years, two and a wow. half years. Yeah. And there's a beach that my, um, somebody that we worked with in a bar, his mother owned the beach. Uh, Valma is the name of the beach. And there's a rock on that beach. And I sit on that rock and I just I look out into the ocean and I smell Frankie. Irene is the mom. I smell her fish stew. I sit on the beach and, you know, I just, it's the most present place in my life. And then there's a place where um, my husband and I were driving in California. We're driving from um, Calistoga to Monterey for a friend's wedding. And it was the first time we bought a, we rented a convertible. 
we were driving down the most famous highway and it was just it was a really feel good feeling so you know there there are two def great memories that i have that um i'm always present at when i go back to I love that. And it's so true. I try to stay in moments that are really special to me. Like even just yeah. watching my grandchildren, I was watching my grandson work with my husband today outside. And it's just so cute because he's not even two years old. And it just like flipped back into a memory of my kids when they were little and they'd be outside with him. And I just rushed through life so much when my kids were little because I had to keep moving on to the next thing. And now I'm slowing up my life, Nula, of like just so capturing those moments in my head. And I, I love that you said that because you have to have those moments, right? So absolutely. And I believe viscerally, you have to feel them. You feel know, that's them. A, yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I mean when I'm sitting on that rock in Eos and I'm not there and I can smell the fish stew, I can hear the mm -hmm. water lapping over the rocks. You know, it's like you really have to bring yourself into that feeling tone of a moment. And um, yeah. it's almost meditational. It is. It really it's, is. Yeah, it's very, very much so. Yeah. Find your own way. I believe that, Tina. I believe there's no one mm -hmm. way for everybody. Right. You kind of have to find your own way. Yeah, but find a way. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, if you are um, a salon leader and you're listening to this, you need to be a part of our salon, uh, Empowered Salon Leadership Group. We've been doing these masterminds, Nula, since COVID hit. And I was so yeah. glad because I got adventurous and, you know, I got out of my palmetto bubble and I started hanging out with non-palmetto people. And it's so There cool. is a world outside. There's a world outside. <laughs> and although I love my palmetto school world, obviously, and, but it's just been so fun to collaborate from people all over the country and I love my New York friends you yeah y'all yeah. are from New York and I think it's amazing in fact my daughter always wanted to live in New York when she was little she's changed her mind since then of course but, but she always wanted to live in New York in fact we always talked about we should open a salon in New York but it hasn't we haven't moved on that one of course yet but you never know we might someday but but talk about um what is your last piece of advice first of all to be adventurous as far as no matter what industry you're in, because obviously I have people from all different industries listening to this. And then how can people best get a hold of you? And right. you know, what are some of the things that you're doing with some people? I think um, for people to be adventurous, trust, get yourself around some really good people that you can trust because they will hold you up. Yes. You know, and I've, I've had lifelong friends through all these different phases of my life and they all intertwine with one another and they all know about each other. You know, it's like building that network of people that you trust and that you know and that you like and that you share values with. And, you know, it takes time sometimes to find them, but um, I do believe in the power of friendships and the power of relationships. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, even if you are that person who hasn't, you know, you don't do that. Start networking, you know, start, you know, the amount of people that have thanked me, Tina, since we've um, done Empowered Salon Leaders, they're like, wow, I would never have done this, or I didn't know this existed, or, yeah. you know, we, we really provide this safe place for people to be a little bit vulnerable and be okay with their leadership and understand that, you know, nobody's perfect, but you, you right. together, you know, we can definitely support each other. And I don't mean for that to sound cliche, 
but um you know it is it's really important it's really important yeah, we were we were built to belong you know yes. we, to, we cannot yeah. isolate ourselves and you know there was a time i just wasn't around other leaders and yeah. I wasn't getting advice from them and i tell you i i'm really enjoying this group because i learned so much from every single person right so what's the best way to get a hold of you and uh then to end this out what's the next adventure that nula is gonna go on <laughs> before i get to the best ways you hold me i listened to ivan meisner this morning so he I said, love him. Yeah. Yes. so he was on empowered and he said that the um this is not lockdown or quarantine this is the great pause amen amen right and then he said it's not social distancing it's physical distance because we are people that need relationships yeah. and social connection with people he said that the he believes that the future of the world is face to face and it's online and i think that's the beautiful thing that i've learned from you tina and the team is like we've we saw each other at John Maxwell IMCs and we didn't spend that much time with each other, but there was always in the like because we're hairdressers and you yeah. always had your booths there and you had your great people there from Paul Mitchell. And but how much we've all connected through this virtual space and these and like we're tight. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it's really wonderful. So you can get those relationships. I just wanted to share yeah. that with you. That was a big learning this morning. It's just change the words, you know change your words so you can yeah you can contact me at empowered salon leaders of course we have um, a facebook group so if you're a salon leader or um an owner you can join us there and um, i'm on instagram and it's nula gilday so it's n-u-a-l-a-g-u-i-l-d-e-a and also and you can dm me i'm very active um on the dm on instagram and uh, my facebook page nula gilday it's no secret that's my name <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, so and then actually what I'm up to next is, you know, I'm, I'm I want to create a company that I'm really having fun in discovery of what I really want to contribute to our industry. Empowered Salon Leaders is really definitely that's where I want to be. And um, I want to empower the salon industry to live by design, not by default. And that meaning is, you know, you get to choose your pay structure, you get to choose the, you get to choose who you have working with you. You know, this, this industry is a beautiful industry, but, and the reason why I always say there's no heart on your PL is because, you know, there's no line item there for the blood, sweat and tears that a salon owner puts into their business. Right. You know, but right. it, you don't have to do it alone because it can be a lonely place, you know, when you, you feel like you should know it all. So that's, you know, I, I'm re ready to, you know, uncover that. I think there's so much great technical training out there. There is some great business training out there, but I really think, Tina, we've got something special in this leadership training because yeah. it's not about being the leader. It's about leading, yes. you know, so it's not about having that badge. So yeah, that's where I'm at. So I'm excited. You're amazing, Nula. Thank you so much for being on. I know everyone's going to just love this message. So thank you, Tina. <laughs> Bye, Nula. Guys, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.